Welcome to the exclusive digital edition of Sports Psychology Today, brought to you by the Washington Times newspaper. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs, sports psychologist. I want to thank the Washington Times for coming on as our first sponsor and appreciate their involvement in our show. And you can hear this and all our other podcasts at winnersunlimited.com. This show is about psychology and sports. I've been a sports psychologist in Kansas City since 1981. And I've had the privilege to work with athletes at all levels of competition from the Olympic level, professional level, all the way down to high school and youth sports. Just published a book this past year with an all-star baseball player and a Hall of Fame swim coach, Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone. The book is called Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. And what we do on this show is we talk about mindsets, we talk about attitudes, we talk about perspectives. And we interview someone every week to discuss the psychology of sports. And in a few minutes, I'm going to be interviewing University of Missouri, Kansas City, head men's soccer coach Rick Ben-Ben. Rick's been the head coach at UMKC for 20 years. He's been a coach in soccer since 1969, professional coach, collegiate coach, a, a player, tremendous background. We're going to be talking with him about the psychology of sports here in a moment. In my 36 years of work, one of the things I've noticed as a sports psychologist is I have a saying that I've developed that you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. Mindsets and attitudes play such a key role. And I've had the privilege to work with so many great people, professional Olympic-level athletes, high school athletes, youth athletes, doesn't matter. And one of the things I've found is that if, if we can teach athletes about using their mind constructively, positively, it will enhance their performance tremendously. I talk about four key words a lot with my clients. Preparation, focus, attitude, and confidence. Those, those words play such a key role in terms of how someone becomes successful or failure. I like to ask people this question. Do you have to be confident to be successful or do you have to be successful to be confident? Both go hand in hand, but quite frankly, I think confidence is the foundation because here's the thing. If you're a confident athlete and you fail, You'll be disappointed, you'll be upset, but you'll also know you can come back the next time. It won't brag you down, but if you have to be successful to be confident, what happens when you fail? Where's your confidence go? And I see so many athletes in my office, and I've been in practice for 36 years, as I said, working with athletes at all levels, who'll come in with confidence issues. They'll come in and talk to me about how they don't feel good about themselves, and they, they don't have the confidence, the belief that they can succeed. And a lot of times that comes back from a couple of things. It comes back from the way they're raised. It comes back from the environment they're in now, their teammates, their coaches, their parents. And so we try to address all those issues and help them understand that. And on our show today, I'm going to be talking with UMKC coach Rick Ben-Ben. I've known Rick for a long time, back since the uh, early 1980s when I began working with him with the Kansas City Comets of the Major Indoor Soccer League. And as I said, he's been coaching at the University of Missouri, Kansas City now for 20 years. Very, very successful man, a, f a father, a grandfather. He's got three children. He's got nine grandchildren. Great family man, but, but, but a really good person. And I thought Rick would be a great person to talk to about this stuff because he understands the psychology of sports. He understands the physicality of sports. And obviously, as a soccer coach, he understands that too. So, Rick, first of all, thank you for joining me this morning on our show. Oh, thanks, Andy. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. You know, you've been coaching a long time, as, as I just mentioned. Let's just start off right off the bat. How important is psychology when it comes to sports? 
Well, I mean, I think it it stands on equal footing with with the other pillars of the sports, right? So, I I really don't think I understood the specifics of it until I met you, started working with you. I think I think athletes uh, intuitively do it. I think in some manner, you know. I think if you uh, if you've played sports and uh, you want to do well I, again i think it's just part of the kind of your dna but again i think uh you know when i when we started working with you then it kind of brought into uh kind of focus with hey what the elements of that uh are you know i, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top obviously i'm a little bit biased with that because that's what i do but one of the things I really feel very confidently and, and strongly about from my own perspective is that when, when you can work on mindsets, and as a coach, you do a great job of this because I watch you, how you coach your players and how you communicate with them. But if you get that trust level with the athletes, I think, I think as a coach, if you have the athletes trust, then I think that really opens up the door for them to listen to you, to let you guide them and direct them and, and, and to have the belief in what you're doing. I, I I hope so. I mean, I hope that's true. I I don't I don't look at it as there being any, you know. Again, it's a it's a subjective thing. It's hard to really you know grab it. But I think if uh, you know each day, you know, you show them, you know, that you care for them, that that uh, you want that you know the individual to do well which leads to the team doing well. Hey, no matter what happens to to kind of keep a steady approach so that, hey, you're not jumping all over the place at all times, uh, that, hey, if things go unbelievably successful, you, you show up the next day and put one foot in front of the other. And conversely, if, hey, if things aren't going well, to, you know, to, to, to keep sending those messages that, hey, you can be successful individually, which will let us be successful as a team. You know, all the years we've worked together, you know I like to talk about four key words, preparation, focus, attitude, confidence, with confidence being the foundation. As a, as a head collegiate coach, how do you recognize when you have a young man who's got a confidence issue? And if he does, obviously you're coaching men, but it could be girl, you know, men or women, boys or girls. If you have an athlete with a confidence issue, what do you suggest to a coach that they do to try to help them overcome that from your perspective? Well, I think the, uh, you know, primary, the primary thing in it, you, you have to find a way to, to let that uh, young man or woman know that, that you're with them. And, again, I think that has to be determined by your own personality, how you approach them and how you do it. But I, I do think you have to find a way to let them know that you believe in them, that, that, that you know, we, you, they can get beyond whatever the, the problem at that point may be, whether it's, uh, hey, a bad individual performance, uh, you know, something that happened uh, off the field in their life. So, again, I think it's just kind of like being there for them and, and making the making the point to uh, address them directly about it. So the communication process between a coach and an athlete 
is so imperative and so important. When you have an athlete who maybe questions whether you believe enough in them, may question whether you have the confidence to, to play them, and I'm sure, you know, that's obviously happened at some point in 20 years at UMKC and all the years you've coached. How do you work with that athlete to get them to trust you more and, and to build that relationship better? Well, you know, I think it's every day. So whether it's directly to them where where you uh, before practice, you might just spend uh, 30 seconds with them asking them how their day's going, what what's going on uh, to, to to try to keep that. Uh, connection going somehow. Hey, and it's really difficult because, hey, if things are going bad with an individual player, they might, the last thing they might want to do is talk to you. And then I think you leave them alone, but at least if you're trying to make the connection, if you're at least taking steps towards them, then hopefully at some point, uh, you know, that conversation can take place or something you might say could could be the thing that, you know, had, takes on a positive, uh, you know, aspect for them and lets them move on. And and one thing in this too is I as I think you I think you have to be realistic with yourself as a coach and with your team, and understanding in today's times I think even more so than ever. I don't know if it, it's really any different, but it's certainly more open, where the individual player can certainly get more disappointed in their individual performance even if the team's doing well, right? And then if the team as a whole isn't doing well, you know, it brings out their problems even more. So when you've got an athlete who you're lacking confidence in, how do you approach that as a coach? Because let's face it, you're going to have some athletes who are going to play for you that aren't playing well and you're losing confidence in them. So how do you address that as a coach? And what would you suggest to coaches, young coaches especially, maybe at the club level or high school level, to work with athletes on from that perspective? Well, as painful as it is to do, I I, I do suggest being transparent. And, what, you know, what does that mean? So in, in our team, you know, I kind of go back to high school. You know, when I was in high school, even my freshman year, uh, you know, my high school was like a big football, American football. And I was amazed that I was on the depth chart with the seniors, <laughs> right? Because it was a big pro, you know, lots of kids playing. And, you know, my name was on there on a little tab, you know, what string I was, which was 10 or 12, <laughs> I think, at that point. And so, so I think I try to use that with my team. I, I try to give them a perspective of where they where they fit in with the team. And so I think it's important that, that they know that, whether they're a backup, a starter, third string. Uh, so I think it kind of starts with that. I think you've you got to let them know where they stand. So, you know, one of my favorite sayings is a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And good coaches are good communicators. Good coaches are honest communicators. And one of the things I've seen in my 36 years of work with so many of the coaches I've worked with is they're, they're dishonest people. There are a lot of dishonest people out there. They're not straightforward with the athletes. Mm -hmm. They'll tell them something and then immediately do the opposite. So that trust level gets really hurt badly. And then the athletes don't trust the coaches. The coaches don't trust them. And then everything falls apart. I know one of the things I think you do a really good job of 
is communicating with your athletes where they stand. You know, if you're going to play, if you're not going to play, what your role is on the team. You've been coaching at UMKC in Kansas City here for 20 years. Obviously, that, that plays a role in that. Yeah. No, for sure. And, look, it's really hard. I think, I think I'm think i always second-guessing myself as far as those those uh, individual interactions. You know, did I say too much? Did I say too little? Hey, certainly the uh, advent, so to speak, the last few years, and I think more and more where, where kids leave your program, you know, for lots of reasons, you know, whether it's playing time, financial, no matter where it is, you know, and kind of looking looking at yourself and and trying to figure out, hey, did I handle that situation, you know, in the best way. So I always try to, even though from their perspective, they certainly might not see it the same way as I'm seeing it. Hey, at least if I'm honest, straightforward with them, uh, that I think that gives them the information they need to, you know, to make the make the best decision. I've been a big proponent of, of sports as a big a major part of life forever and, and and something I think everybody should be involved in because it helps develop us from a, a variety of perspectives, not just physically and psychologically, but sociologically. You, know, you inter- interact with other people. You, you learn a lot of things about yourself. And the third chapter in our book, Rick, is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. What I feel very strongly about is that in our society today, we don't teach kids how to fail very well anymore. When I grew up, you grew up, we'd go up to the grade school, we'd play with our friends, you know, we'd play, you know, whatever sport until it got dark. Today in our society, there are safety issues where parents don't want their kids playing at the grade school after, you know, after school or on the weekends without parental supervision. Everybody's getting involved in an organized sporting activity at a, at a young age. Um, they're being coached at four and five and six years of, of age, which I've got issues with. I've, I've shared on this show and, and my radio show in Kansas City I've had for 26 years that I think we're really taking play out of, out of the whole world for kids because um, everything's so structured. But the kids that are coming into your program now, do they understand how to overcome failure as well as, say, they did 10, 15, 20 years ago? Oh, I th- I think so. I would I would uh, I think everything's expressed much more openly now. So their disappointment, I think, comes out. I I don't think that was the natural. You know, when things didn't go well, I don't know how many years back. Generally, you just got on with it. You know, and we didn't, and didn't, we didn't focus worry about on it. it. Right, right. We, it wasn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I never came home where. You know, mom or dad were, you know what I mean, telling me my coaches sucked or, yeah, you know but, what I mean, you no but, but, but today but you I see think this. today, right. Especially at the you, youth sports. I see it, but, you mm-hmm. know, the youth sports games, you've got nine grandchildren that play a bunch of sports. Mm-hmm. You see it. I mean, there are parents out there, there's or coaches that are demeaning the kids. Right. Okay, if they fail. And then that causes mm-hmm. confidence problems. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't, I, I just feel overall, not with everybody, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't teach kids that failing is, it's okay, because you're going to do it. No, They're, I, they're condescended and insulted and degraded when they fail. Right. Oh, no, I, th- I think there's no question. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, the more, I think people talk about that more, and so hopefully that will, you know, come back to a better middle ground, whatever you want to say, I think, if people keep talking about it. But, yeah, I think that's uh, 
God, it's just such a, I mean, it's such a societal issue. It's like, hey, you, you, you know, I think, again, social media, trying to, you know, promote yourself to make your make yourself get so many people take the approach where they they the, the self-promotion and about their life is pretty unbalanced so i don't know i think just by talking about it hopefully we can we can bring it back to a to a middle ground so as a as a collegiate soccer coach for with 20 years at umkc now as the head coach when you have an athlete who's failing who's screwing up who's not playing well how do you help him overcome that and not let it become a, a an overriding problem and a confidence problem where they, they start to mentally fall apart? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you have to focus on the positive. You know, what I really try to do is, hey, not ignore for sure that if they're not, if whether a lot of times the kid thinks he's doing much worse than I do. <laughs> okay. So uh, I think it's important to remind them of why they're good. You know, hey, you're good because you do these five things really well, and these are a couple of things you need to improve on. But maybe you're standing in the team as maybe in your position there's two guys ahead of you who are just really good, and so you're the third guy. So what and, do you say to them then in that situation? They're the third string guy, mm-hmm. and they're not going to get to play that much. You've mm-hmm. got twenty something guys on your team on your roster. You've got mm-hmm. eleven guys on the field at once, and probably what a game typically four or yeah, five guys maybe. will come in. Yeah. Okay, so this might be the third string guy who's not going to get in. Mm-hmm. How do you encourage him to keep working, keep developing, and keep getting trying to work on getting better and keep the confidence level up that eventually, hopefully, he'll get in there? Well, I, I mean, again, I think that you you have to be positive, emphasize their strengths. I think. At times, even though they they might not be ready to hear it, it might come out wrong. It's maybe something historically that you can encourage them with. Well, hey, I remember back this time that, you know, kid was in the same boat as you, and he was biding his time. He got his opportunity and, you know, started and played the rest of his career, you know. So I think you just really have to work hard at, at trying to take each situation individually and and really trying to to focus on the positive things that you can say. Where do coaches, and this can be at any level, where do you see coaches ruining or destroying a kid's confidence? And what is it that they do when they do that? Man, I don't know. I I hope I've never done it. You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think. Uh, I think a coach has to be themselves. I mean, I think that could happen in so many different ways. It could could be overt because, hey, if you're real emotional, like just berating a player, right? But then it could be the opposite if you ignore someone. You know, let's just say you totally ignore some kid because you think he's not going to play. So I think it it, it can happen in both directions. And I think a coach, I would hope, doesn't even understand he's doing it. You know, so that's why I think it's important for Hey, if you're going to be a coach, you 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 have to be broad. You have to try to always put yourself in the shoes of your player or, you know, any other person that you're working with. Well, that's why as I said earlier, a good coach to me is a good psychologist because you have to understand each player's psyche because mm-hmm. everybody's different. I mm-hmm. mean, you have you have 24 players on your roster, everybody's got a different perspective. The ones that are playing are different than the ones that are partially playing compared to the ones that aren't playing. So you've got to be able to understand how to how to communicate that with them. So 
when you've got a, uh, you know, you've been at so many different levels of, of, of soccer games. You watch them, and you, you've got grandchildren. You, you're recruiting. You're play, coaching the collegiate level. You coach the professional level. Where have you seen an athlete's confidence just been destroyed before? What have what have you, have you noticed where somebody's confidence has just been been gone? You know, I think going back, probably the one kid kind of stands out. This goes back years and years and years. And, uh, you know, he was a highly uh, successful, you know, high school and club player. Got a big scholarship, you know, to, to join our program where I was uh, coaching at the time. And really never played. You know, never played. And, and the reason he didn't play is just, hey, the timing, there were... You know, a couple of kids who were already there and then a couple of kids who weren't as ti- as highly touted as him came in after him. And just circumstance, he really never got on the field in a meaningful way. Uh, because because why? Well, just because the other kids were better. Okay. You know, it did, it, it, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Okay. You know what I mean? It was just really, I think, at the, uh, you know, again, no matter what sport, the highest level of competition, you know, it's just fierce competition to be in the starting team. And uh, now, to be fair with him, uh, he was a real bright kid, got his degree, didn't let him affect that part of his life, even as disappointed he was as a player. And I don't know if there was really any – at that, uh, the, this kid, that I was an assistant at the time. I wasn't the head coach. But I, I always kind of felt bad about it because he was really a talented kid. But to be fair – Hey, he's had a great life, real bright, had a good professional life, good family life, you know, everything by that. But, again, at that time, that had to be really – that was a real kick for him. So So. how did you work with him on that to get him to understand that? Oh, again, I just think it's every day. It's just kind of every day staying in contact with – really forcing yourself. Like like when things aren't going well, to like show up the next day and keep going – well, I think it's the same thing when you're dealing with kids. You know, you have to force yourself as a coach to communicate. So, like, hey, as I've gotten older, I understand the kids just aren't going to be like, hey, coach. Generally speaking, not many kids initiate conversations with you. <laughs> okay, so you have to take. So one thing I do is, hey, we meet. I meet with all the kids kind of formally two or three times during the season, once or twice during our non-championship season. And I think that's important to do because basically I I have to force those conversations. I have to get those kids sitting in a room with me one-on-one and, hey, talking. So what I'm hearing from you as we wrap things up today is this. A, A really successful coach, as I said earlier, has to be a good psychologist. But being a good psychologist means being a good communicator. Being a good communicator means being assertive, being straightforward, and opening the door for these kids to come in and talk to you. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to do it, and sometimes you may have to take the lead and bring them in. Mm -hmm. But being honest with them, being straightforward with them about where they stand, what their role is, and what's going on, and let them know you're there to support them is is the balance of all those things. And if you can do that, then you're going to have a better chance to be successful. I hope so. I think so. I think that that kind of gives you a pretty good picture of what I think you should try to do. All right. As we wrap it up here, I want to get two definitions from you and see what you say. What's your definition of winning and what's your definition of losing? 
Oh man, I think I think winning for me now is certainly I want to win every game. All right, but that means to me now having the very best process I can for the kids every day. So if I know that we're preparing them in every way uh, to look at that process, make sure that process is is there, uh, then. Again, like how are they coming along as people? Do I see them growing each day and becoming hopefully a better person? If they're not, to keep working with with them to attain that. So I think my definition has just gotten much broader over the years because, hey, I understand winning's really hard. I've won tons of games i've lost tons of games i've won championships i haven't come close to winning championships but i think in the end if i can sit and and don't get me wrong i every loss is i'm still not a very good loser i think i for the most part keep it to myself but hey uh, losing is i don't enjoy it at all i want to win every game but i think i've grown to the point personally hey that i can step back and take real satisfaction in looking at our, you know, student athletes, players, you know, being successful in life is is really meaning a lot of of uh, satisfaction for so, myself. So, so what you're saying is your definitions of winning and losing objectively really don't matter as much. It, it, it's more the meaning of the effort that goes into it and what they've learned from the process. Yeah, I I, I think so. And again, don't 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 let me miscategorize this i want to win you know i want to win the championship i want to be in first place i want to play great and win (laughs) but but those are results and it's the process the execution the effort to get there that's really the the the, the main theme that that really what winning and losing exactly and i think i'm fortunate now i've been able to do something that i love for so long that i can take a broader perspective if i was you were asking me this question many moons ago, I think I would be, you know, saying, I, I, I think I've always taken this approach, but I didn't know it, you know, because winning, I was fortunate. I, I early on, for sure, I had all the best players playing for me. Okay, so it was, it, <laughs> winning came pretty darn easy, right? Because I had, in lots of environments, the best players. Uh, as I've gone through my career, that's not always the case. So I understand both ends of the perspective and how important, uh, hey, if you have really good players, you're going to (laughs) win. And if you don't, you're probably not going to win as much as you want. So, but the process to get there is the learning, the learning, what you're learning about. And that's yeah, the, that's and, the and, and hey, that, that thing about self-improvement always happens, Continual, continually learning, trying to, you know, a lot of times I think you look, you find yourself going around in circles at lots of things that you did a long time ago are still good. You throw away stuff, pick up new stuff. So, uh, but, yeah, I think a constant state of uh Trying to learn more is is so important. Well, Rick Van Vanen, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Sports Psychology Today. Great interview, and I think great perspective on on really what it takes to be successful as a coach. I thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thanks. It was fun, Andy. You know, and that wraps it up for this digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I want to thank the Washington Times for coming on board as our first sponsor. 
Remember, you can hear all of our interviews and calls and discussions at winnersunlimited.com. Check out the Washington Times and their website. You'll be able to find everything there as well. I want to thank you for listening. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs.